podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at CypherCast.net. And follow us on Twitter at CypherCast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we'll be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing one spell. With All You Are Is Mine to Use, we'll discuss locations from the gold sun. Join us on the path of suns and we may uncover a secret or two. When we cast All You Are Is Mine to Use, we discuss the books and other releases for our Invisible Sun games. We are making our way through Teratology and approaching the end of the Path of Suns uh, to discuss locations one might find under the Gold Sun. Uh, As a reminder, the themes of the Gold Sun are transformation. Uh, Notice that this is transformation just from something to something different. Uh, It is not necessarily transformation towards perfection. Um, and in some sense, this is the last step of the Path of Suns, but it's also the middle step because people can walk right back up the dark or the night side. Uh, and it is not necessarily the culmination of the Path of Suns, but it, the theme is definitely old things becoming new things or transformation. The secondary theme is journeys uh, and the value of journeys themselves. Uh, the the um, cliched saying that uh, you know the the real treasure is the friends we made along the way. Uh, that's something along the theme for this sun, except it not as it could be friends you meet along the way, but particularly the self discovery and self awareness that you uh, reveal as you are journeying. Uh, and a lot of the locations will have uh, elements of journeys in them. Uh, So again, emphasizing that transformation is not the end. It is not destruction. Um, It is instead the, it it is instead transformation journeys. Similarly would conceptualize everything we do as a part of a journey, uh, but an appreciation for the journey, the the movement and journeying aspect of uh, our behaviors. Uh, this sun also tends to attract uh, beings of beauty and elegance that embrace the fluidity and constant adjustments uh, implied by the gold sun. So we have some angels here. We have other entities that are not necessarily angels, but have angelic, beautiful qualities. Uh, and there is an emphasis on um, on beauty. Uh, one thing we didn't note here that I'm just remembering is this is where the Elderburn are from, isn't it? Yes. This is the home uh, son of the Elderbrin. Elderbrin being the shape-shifting changelings of Invisible Sun. So it only makes sense yeah. that they'd be from the Gold Sun. Okay, let's let's jump into some locations. Uh, Teratology brings us five new locations. I'm sorry, four new locations. Uh, and we'll talk about each of those and adopt a bit of a new format as we approach the end of Teratology and more explicitly provide hooks for each of these locations, as well as a description of uh, what is at these locations. The first location listed in Teratology is the Amorphous Mills. Uh, yep, that is in fact the easiest one to pronounce. Yeah, I was, I was just, I was just double sure. checking because that sounded too easy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have more debates over pronunciation later. Uh, we've even done some research. 
the uh, but the amorphous mills are giant windmills that uh, are you know turned by winds and produce some sort of conf- uh, condensed milky wind that turns back time. I mean, if you want to talk about windmills that are going to reduce your property value, I think these might actually do it. <laughs> and <laughs> these might also cause cancer, but you know, we'll see. Uh, so you can imagine the story implications of having a substance that can turn back time. And this is where you'd find it. Uh, the write-up even notes that there's a actuality-wide trade in the wind milk that turns back time. So you could find this material anywhere, uh, but this is where it comes from. The uh, players uh, can visit the the amorphous mills, but the write-up notes that no one tends to stay here very long as just being here fills you with a need to to, to leave and to find a life that has less movement and change in it. Whether that's movement and change of yourself walking because you'll be compelled to kind of walk around uh, or it is uh, just the movement in the area because as you imagine with these giant windmills, there's these huge moving uh, monoliths uh, constantly surrounding you, which could be intimidating in ways that just inspire people to to leave not long after they have arrived. This this was one thing that I found fairly interesting, given that the Gold Sun is all about uh, introspection and change and transformation. These amorphous mills, if you visit them, they kind of push you to become more sedentary and you know set in place. Right. Almost a fear of the sort of constant movement and change that characterizes the gold sun, but particularly these giant windmills. Yeah. Uh, others will have different effects. <laughs> the uh, the amorphous mills are overseen by the mill master. Sounds like a really terrible Stan Lee villain. Hmm. Uh, the mill master is an angel with a demon companion who oversees the operations of these giant windmills. Uh there's a, a note of a rumor even that suggests that the, the compulsion to leave is driven by the need of the amorphous mills themselves to constantly churn visitors to thrive. Which, uh, this is almost. Yeah, a, that I guess that kind of jives with the previous statement that when you go and visit here, you then tend to seek out a, a life with less change in it. So maybe these mills are just sort of absorbing, you know, that motivation and, you know, housing it right also the uh you can also think of visitors then as not unlike the wind itself Mm -hmm. just as the windmills require the movement of wind coming in and passing through which means leaving uh to to operate maybe the mills themselves require the constant uh, addition of new visitors and then clearing out those visitors to make way for new visitors which raises the specter that Maybe it's not even the wind that's causing all of this or, or is not the main resource of the amorphous mills, mm-hmm. that it might be this, or at least in part, the churn of visitors that produces the thyme milk. Thyme milk is really gross. <laughs> yes. Well, I tried mill milk, but I'm just afraid that's going to be hard no, to say. No, anything that's like something milk is usually gross. Yes. Like chocolate milk. Uh, e- <laughs> even if it's blue, right? Blue milk. Yeah, well, I don't know if we'll see any more of it on Friday. Well, I'm going to go see on Friday. But we'll oh, see. now everybody knows when we're recording. 
Yes. <laughs> Good luck figuring out when we record based on our uh, upcoming release schedule over the mm-hmm. holidays. <laughs> yeah. So the next okay, four episodes, so- we're we're going to be real high on Star Wars. And then the episodes after that, we're all just going to be, you know, grumpy. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Uh, I, I'm sure it's going to be a disappointment. <laughs> we'll see. I'm just kidding. Um, Star Wars is great and I'm looking forward to it. You're just trying to build yourself up so you, you are surprised at how wonderful uh, it's not it is. really. Like I'm gonna go see it with my kids and we're going we're going on Thursday with Troy's family and it's gonna be fun. Like I've enjoyed the new Star Wars movies, they're fun. Yes, I have uh, uh, my wife got us tickets for Friday night. She's actually the bigger Star Wars mm-hmm. fan, uh, bigger than I am, though it is something I followed my entire life because I'm yep, of that age. And um, I'm uh, of the dissident opinion that I really liked the last. I, I liked so it. So I'm curious to see see how how they react to that. And I'm 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 anxious that JJ is just going to unravel all the things I liked about Last Jedi. And I'll admit there's things I didn't, but on the whole, yeah. I did. But we'll see. Anyway, this is not the Star Star Wars uh, I, podcast. I do just want to say though that I I am not terribly concerned that they might you know undo things from the previous one. But if they do, like great. I love it. <laughs> you know, they, they set up a whole thing because that's what they did with the last Jedi. They kind of threw out a whole bunch of stuff from the force awakens and that was fun. But then if they come back and, you know, do it again, like that's also kind of fun and exciting because it leaves things kind of unexpected. But if they involve midichlorians, I have as midichlorians. I can, I can give that a pass. <laughs> okay. If, if, if it involves midichlorians, what I recommend is mill milk to go back in time and beat up J.J. Abrams to make sure he removes that from the script. Let's go back and beat up George Lucas to remove it so that it's never an idea in the first place. Uh, also also fair. Yes, that just requires more milk. Uh, so the uh, a simple hook for the amorphous mills is that the uh, group finds something that they need to de-age. This could be a person or an inanimate object. Uh, because there aren't rules exactly on how de-aging and time uh, reversals work. But since it is a fluid, it'd be something very easy to sort of spill over or dip a an object into. But this might yeah, be a magic. Dip all the hard drives that the Phantom Menace was in. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You, you could take, uh, so the trick might be, that a particular object is sufficiently powerful, sufficiently fundamental. Maybe it's a piece of the legacy or something that resists magical manipulation. So you need milk to be entirely this, this sort of mill milk or time milk or whatever to be fresh for it to actually work. And so you need to take the object to the amorphous mills in order for this time reversal effect to, to work on such an object. And wouldn't, putting this object into the like exposing it to the milk that's this fresh that might be troublesome for whoever's actually doing it right as usual the my touchstone is futurama and there was a great scene in futurama where there's a pool of de-aging where they mm-hmm. uh they dive into and stay for too long <laughs> and are de-aged too much and you have like the uh, teen and preteen versions of the various Futurama uh, group members for a while. Oh, I vaguely remember that one. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that is the uh, amorphous mills. Yeah. Pronounce, the, pronounce this next one. The next location is the Anfractious Expanse. Yeah. That one's not too bad. It's not so bad. 
uh, this is a yellow brick road. It yeah. is literally a yellow brick road. But in Invisible Sun, even yellow brick roads are more than yellow brick roads. And it is a yellow brick road who that has the effect of forcing people to sort of become in, introspective um, as they walk along the path. So you get lost in your own mind in a pleasant way. Um, and you meet some companion that the expanse itself creates to protect you. Uh, again, cartoons are my touchstone. So I think of uh, uh, Johnny Cash as the coyote in uh, Homer Simpson's uh, vision quest. But it's oh, something yeah. like that where this creature becomes your guide along the path while you really explore your own inner wisdom. To the outside world, it may look like you're walking down this path. This path is hypothetically of infinite length. It, it is just a, an indefinitely long path because it's as long as you need it to be. Mm-hmm. And you walk along and you get, you are guided by this uh, companion. Uh, the a companion can be whatever is fitting for your particular character. It could be a lot of fun to ask players to define their own companions, whether it be talking coyote or talking cactus or whatever else. This is a very pleasant location. It is pleasant, but there is the potential for a, a pretty big hook um, or dark side to it. Uh, or a couple of them. Uh, the first is that the, the description notes that the expanse rejects anyone who is insufficiently introspective or if or they talk too much, much. <laughs> I'm leaving that in um, or they seek to harm someone else. Seek to harm is useful because it prevents the easiest sorts of disruptions you might have on walking uh, the expanse itself. Um, mm-hmm. But the notion of respecting of rejecting someone and, uh, because they're not sufficiently introspective is an interesting lesson that it probably would translate better in a novel than in an RPG, but could still be interesting. Yeah. I think if you have the right group and you ask them, is your character willing to, you know, think about who they are and be introspective for a time. If you got the right group, I think you would have some players that would, you know, definitely say like, yeah, I don't, I don't think my character would, I don't think I would do that. So I'm not getting on the path. And it seems like an interesting choice. It might also be the case that this gives you an excuse to require that the characters have certain experiences before they go to the the uh, the uh, infractious expanse because they have to have had experiences that opened them up to change, mm-hmm. and it have sort of forced them to be introspective. So there's there's a very there's an opportunity for an incredibly satisfying character arc culminating in the infractious expanse, but you're gonna have to work hard to get there. Yeah. So for a hook, uh, I, I think this is a relatively literal translation of what this uh, location does. Uh, you have a truth that's inside you, but you need to walk the expanse to see what that truth is. But if you want to spice this up a little bit, you may also need to contend with temptation in the form of your companion. So maybe the companion isn't just there to protect you, though they might do that also. It might be there to tempt you out of self-reflection so that any reflection that you achieve is authentic. And so you end up with this journey down a golden, uh, you know, the the yellow brick road, uh, but you're debating with this fictional companion um, and trying to resist the temptations that they offer. 
And if you just take the temptations, then clearly you're not sufficiently uh, introspective. You are too uh, wrapped up in what others have to offer and what others are bribing you with, like this companion. And thus, it, that's how you prove that you're sufficiently introspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Again, uh, bonus points for using the voice of Johnny Cash. The third location is the Dolore Sea. It's um, a big gold ocean. Yeah, gold floats on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, there we go. Yeah, that's pretty much all this is described. Now, there's there's more we can play with this. It is, it is interesting. Gold is sort of an interesting substance to make an entire ocean. Uh, it is itself quite malleable, but it's still a, a metal. So you could almost see it, you know, in a large amount, magically large amount, magically creating waves and uh, having a tide like you would on an ocean. But it still has that surreal element that, you you know, it's it's a metal. Things are magically floating on it, uh, specifically if they're also made of gold. So giant golden ships float on this this golden ocean. And that's uh, that's kind of interesting a little on the nose for the golden the gold sun and here you see less of the transformation uh theme though it it notes that the uh, the ocean is a hazardous one because the conditions of sailing can change rapidly but that's that's sort of a tip of the hat towards the change theme i think the big theme here is the journey and this is a location where you could have a a, a very a kind of a long journey um, a a journey that is important for its journeyness, for whatever you need a long journey for. I I do like uh, what you've called out here in the hooks because it sort of calls out uh, what the one of the most famous journeys that happened on the sea, the Odyssey. Yes, <laughs> like the actual capital O Odyssey. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You could use that as a hook and say. That imagine someone has has found a treasure map or some object was stolen and they fled across the sea. Um, it makes less sense to have had a war that you're returning from. So you have to use a different type of hook than you would in the Odyssey itself. But somehow your characters have to sail across the Dolores Sea or pursue someone across the Dolores Sea. Then you can fill that sea with with golden versions of nautical hazards made surreal. And the Odyssey provides a lot of inspiration for this because it's halfway there. It's already quite surreal in its own way. Um, you've got Scylla and Charybdis that you have to sail between. You have the Sirens. And uh, if you really want to nail the theme of the Gold Sun, you can have... Um, oh, boy. Her name just left me. Um, the Witch. Circe? Is it Circe? Uh, that uh, transforms people as punishments, like lures them onto her island and transforms them into animals. Oh, yeah, that and does there, do pretty well. Yeah, that, there's your transformation theme. Um, so you could really have your own little version of the Odyssey um, on the Dolores Sea. And I think reference the themes of the Gold Sun uh, well in that process. And you could also interpret all of the Odyssey as this giant transformational journey for uh, uh, Odysseus. So it's not that much of a stretch for any of the hazards that Odysseus faced um, in the Odyssey to sort of adapt them uh, without much adaptation. Even Sylvan Crypdus would not require much change to slide right into a surreal uh, encounter. 
Our so we did some research for this last name. Yes, the last location, which did require looking up because it struck us as an actual word, which it is, but of course archaic. No one you you know, um, and thus it has a pronunciation. Though there seems to be some controversy over how it is pronounced, it's there is no authoritative source. But the source that I find easiest to pronounce and therefore the one I will choose suggests our last location is the Melidius Manor. It's a party house uh, in the gold. Not a frat house. More like a no. swingers house. <laughs> May, a, well, a little bit of both in that it is a hidden place of luxury and sensuality. But key to its distinction is you have to be invited to even find it. And if you want to go, if you want to get invited, you're not going to. Right. Uh, because you're obviously not cool. If you want to go, you're not cool enough to be invited. You have to be cool without wanting to be cool for the cool people to want you to be at their party. Yep. <laughs> uh, so like I said, a little bit of frat and a little bit of swinger <laughs> and a little bit of, you know, obscure uh, rave. Uh, so there's a lot of different models you might use, but the, it, it emphatically is in a house. So you can use that uh, and distinguishing it from other. We've had a rave in the red, for instance, from these other party locations. There's a, there was a, a house with a running party in the pale, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like an unending party. Yes. Uh, and just like the, the, the rave in the red, I believe was unending here. Uh, we have an unending party, but the residents change their shape, personality, faces, and outfits more or less constantly. So you might only have 20 people in the house, but you never meet the same person twice uh, because you might meet this, what is the same entity four or five times, but they have different faces and different personalities each time. Uh, you might even use this to explore what your, a character might use this to explore what their options may be. Who could they be? What, what have they chosen? Who have they chosen to be and who have they chosen not to be? Because they may meet those people in the constantly changing uh, residence of the Melidius Manor. The description suggests a fairly large sexual component. Uh, that is easy. It's a, it's a dial you can turn up or down. So if you are not interested in exploring sexual content in your games, whether because of, you know, you just the age of your group or the interest of your group, it would be easy just to make this just a plain old party and not really lose a whole lot. Uh, but this is a place where if you want to turn the dial the other direction, it would also be easy to make this an exploration of sexual identity and uh, a lot of aspects around around sexuality because of the constantly changing nature of the residents of the Melodious Manor. Uh, there's also a little bit in that is not as gameable as some of the rest of this description about how the there is no one person that chooses the new residents or, or whom they will invite to become a member of the Melodious Manor. Instead, there's a collective of residents who choose who to invite for a year. Uh, but again, they don't invite you if you want. If you're lobbying to be invited, you, you're not going to get invited. Uh, this sounds a lot like PR cover. <laughs> Makes it sound like it's democratic, but it may not be. And so it'd be, it'd be easy to write in that this whole process is a sham. And really there's this one uh, entity that maybe the manor itself does the choosing. 
and that collective the, the collection of residents are simply manipulated into, into bringing the people the manor wants to bring. <laughs> so a lot of ways you could play that. Uh, if you want elevated literary references, uh, yeah, what I recommend this. I would recommend the Magic Theater from uh, Hess's Steppenwolf. Uh, I won't go into great detail. Hess is probably my favorite writer, so I have the danger of going into too much detail. Uh, but he is writing about a kind of lone <laughs> lone wolf. Steppenwolf means wolf of the steppe. Kind of lone wolf, um, uh, uh, introspective, mid-30s character who uh, has become disillusioned with uh, life and with society. Think um, of the character from The Catcher in the Rye. Um, if he uh, just spends the next 20 years thinking everyone's a phony. Great. What a yeah. cool guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But this is about the transformation of uh -huh. this character. And part of that transformation is, a, is an invitation to the magic theater, which has this magical realist quality. And he sees different aspects of his personality and the personalities of those around him acting out um, scenes within the magic theater. So I, I get a lot of that sense from the Millennius Manor that this is a place where uh, maybe it's people think of it as a part, a place to go party, but the manor itself or some component of the manor that is planning is, is, is acting with a strategic intent is bringing people in with the purposes of transforming them. And so your characters might be invited because the manor or someone wants them to be transformed in some way. And they are transformed by meeting this cast of characters inside the magic theater, or in this case, the Melodious Manor. Yeah, that's cool. So that's kind of a hook, but another hook would be uh, that doesn't require quite as much character focused and it's more generic uh, kind of hooks need to apply in a variety of circumstances. Uh, imagine that you're, Characters need information from someone that they learn has been invited into the manor. So they have to figure out how to secure a pass or get into the manor without looking too much like they want to get in the manor because that'd be a red flag that they must not visit the manor. And then once they're inside the manor, they have to find the person, even though the person likely does not look like she did early on. And so they have to figure out how do they identify the right person when that person may be wearing a very different face or even acting differently than they would before. So there has to be some way to kind of uh, a kind of a Geiger counter of personality, like who, who or, or of, of an entity. How much of this entity do you have in you? And let's find the right person with the right wavelength or or whatever. However you want to play that, whether it's kind of tech uh, magic tech um, or it is something more philosophical about what is the true essence that cannot be changed. Things like that. Yeah, this feels like one of those hooks that if I were giving it to my players, I wouldn't have an answer and I would just be waiting for them to key in on something and then, you know, say, oh, yeah, you're right. That's that's how you're going to do it. Or maybe the second thing they key in, however you want to play it. <laughs> yep. Uh, and similarly with getting into the manor, I would probably introduce the problem to my uh, player group and let them figure out, do they want to sneak in? Do they want to magic in? Do they want to persuade in? Do they want to do something that attracts enough attention that the manor wants to invite them? And whether they, and do they research it? You know, they, but not really have an idea. They could go any of these directions as long as they go in, in a way that entertains everybody. 
So these are, I think, the last locations in Teratology. Uh, we have a couple more sections on the Invisible Sun and on the Dark, but I don't believe either of them include locations. Uh, but I think the book went out with a bang. I think these are really interesting locations. Uh, even the, uh, the the locations like the uh, Dolores Sea, which I thought were a little on the nose. The more I think about them, uh, the more opportunity there is. It requires a little bit of effort, but it does re- the what is present in the book rewards that effort, rewards brainstorming on these locations. Uh, and I guess we could also briefly say, it, did, did these locations inspire ideas for you if you were populating locations for the uh, Gold Sun or uh, teach lessons about creating these locations? One thing I, I learned, I think, is that, again, from the Dolores Sea, is you can start out on the nose. Like, okay, it's a big golden sea. It's like a sea, but gold. Um, and that doesn't sound like it's really all that interesting. But from that rather mundane inspiration, if you keep digging and thinking about how do I tie this into transformation? How do I tie this into journey? The combination of even a boring uh, interpretation and these themes can interact to create interesting story opportunities. So don't be afraid. If, you st- if you're not satisfied with your initial idea, just keep working at it for a little while, tie it into the themes and see if that transforms a boring idea into an interesting idea. Yeah. Um, I think you posed a question to me. I was distracted by all the creatures in the dark and the invisible sun after you were mentioning <laughs> that. Yes. Um, but like one of the things that I, I think I've learned from going through this and walking through these exercises is, you know, I think there's a real strength in taking the themes that each of the sun has and really playing to them and trying to incorporate them, you know, into what you're coming up with when you're at the table. Um, Cause it really makes them all stand out from each other um, thematically in addition to like what the environments are going to be like. Like, and I, and I think that's, it's fun and I find it a good creative jump start for the process that I'm going through when I'm coming up with ideas. And it reminds me of something I noticed from the uh, Inkadirian uh, that there's often maps of the suns, mm-hmm. but what these descriptions make clear is those are maps of only small pieces of the suns. Oh, yeah. Don't be limited by what you see in those maps. Each of the suns is, is actually huge. Um, so we have an entire ocean and it's not just a few manor houses sprinkled across um, a mapped out territory. These are immense areas, some of which have detail because that's useful to inspire um, and to help populate initial journeys. Uh, but don't be limited by that. You Each of the suns is immense. And so you can fit entire oceans into them if they feed your story. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. 
So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, it really helps us out. Uh, we also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and ha help people find us.